Live with CDP Sports Talk, a weekly sports and entertainment podcast sponsored by Barry Cullen Chevrolet. Live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, and LinkedIn. And on audio via Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, Anchor FM, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Radio Public, and TuneIn. Now, here's your host, Chris Palme. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Live with CDP Sports Talk, Season 5, Episode 37, Episode 257 overall. Uh, Again, I want to say good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Live with CDP Sports Talk on this Monday, March 27th, 2023. Again, Live with CDP Sports Talk is sponsored by Barry Cullen Chevrolet. 905 Woodlawn Road West in the Guelph Auto Mall. Check out barrycollin.com for the newest selection of new and pre-owned GM vehicles or give them a call at 519-824-0210 and tell them CDP or AKA Chris Pame sent you there as well. And you can also now pre-order the old electric Cadillac Lyric or the old electric Silverado as well. And uh, you can also uh, pre-book uh, uh, Cadillac Lyric uh, ride down at the Barry Collin Chevrolet as well, guys. Uh, also, as always, one sec, guys, just waiting for my guests to come on. Live with CDP Sports Talk weeknights at 8 o'clock on WQEE 99.1 FM, the key, the heartbeat of Atlanta, Southern Talk in sports. And uh, I want to say thank you to Ryan O'Neill for um, believing in my show and having me on his radio station uh, weeknights, uh, mostly Monday to Thursdays between 8 and 9 p.m. as well. So, guys, I'm just waiting for my guests to come on. I'm looking forward to them. Uh, forward to my guest, his uh, second time on here. Uh, tonight's guest is Mark McKelvey. He's a longtime Rogers TV play-by-play announcer for the Ontario Hockey League's Owen Sound Attack, and he does some occasional color analyst work for the Attack Road Games on radio uh, station CFOS 560 AM in Owen Sound. And Mark is also the communications uh, content manager for Woodbine Entertainment out of um, Toronto and Campbellville as well. So I'm looking forward to speaking to Mark about the Ontario Hockey League playoffs coming up and also about the uh, Owen Sound Attack uh, series against the London Knights. Uh, best of seven series against the London Knights. Uh, London is five and two overall against Owen Sound in the OHL playoffs, but the attack have won two out of the last three meetings. And this year in the regular season, Owen Sound and London were three and three in the regular season. So guys, just bear with me and hopefully uh, my guests will be on uh, very shortly uh, for um, live with CDP sports talk as well. So uh, he's just he's just trying to sign on now, and uh, like I said, Mark's one of the good guys in the industry. He does a great job um, as the attack TV play-by-play announcer, and he also uh, occasionally does some road games again for their radio station in Nolan Sound as well. I guess as well, guys, as we're waiting for Mark to come on, guys, uh, we'll just uh, 
talk a little March Madness. San Diego State University will play against the number nine seed Florida Atlantic and Houston, Texas on Saturday in the battle of first-time Final Four contestants. And then the uh, Miami Heats will play against the number four UConn in Houston, Texas on Saturday, April 1st as well. This men, this year's men's NCAA tournament is the first time since seeding began in 1979. No team rated better than four has uh, reached the final four. Uh, I know Houston is uh, number five. So, yeah, a lot of upsets, a lot of drama, and I'm really looking forward to the, the final four games uh, Saturday night in Houston, Texas. I think the first one starts at 5 o'clock and the second one starts at 8 o'clock as well. Hey, as always, I want to say thank you to everybody listening to this podcast show on my audio platforms and also on WQE. 99.1 FM, the Kia Metro Atlanta. And uh, I'm going to bring on my guests right now. Good afternoon, Mark. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Chris. How are things? Good. Thank you so much for coming on today. Not a problem at all. Sorry, you might have been a tad behind, but we're all set now and ready to go. Yeah, no problem. Email's funny. I should have checked with you too, because sometimes emails don't end up going to where they're supposed to go. So, but uh, again, I, I'm I'm glad you were able to come on, and and uh, you must be excited about the uh, OHL playoffs starting this week. I am. Yeah, it feels like the season went by fairly quick. I was telling somebody that the other day that uh, it felt like just yesterday that we were getting a new season going. So it doesn't take long. Uh, you have to enjoy the ride, and now we get to the playoffs, which can be. Uh, even quicker. Hopefully I'll be calling games for a while, but uh, you just never know. So happy to get things going this weekend with round one. Yeah. Uh, I think Owen Sound in London, the regular season met six times and they split the series three, three. And then uh, overall, this is what their eighth playoff meeting. Uh, London's up five to two, but I believe the TAC have won two out of the last three playoff series against London. They have. You go back a few years ago and, and Owen Sound, the last time they met the, uh, the London Knights, they swept them in four games, which I know was uh, a pretty great accomplishment. You know, the Knights have kind of been the uh, the standard of junior hockey and where you want to be. They've had just an incredible run going back almost two decades now. Uh, and, you know, the Owen Sound Attack have a, a real lengthy playoff streak going where they've made the playoffs 12 years in a row. Uh, the only team that's got a longer streak is the London Knights. So both these hockey clubs have been uh, playing into the spring like I said, for a decade plus, and, and now they'll meet once again. And I think this is a pretty good matchup for the attack. They're going to need to really play their best hockey, obviously, to pull the upset. But I think of the matchups they could have got, they have to be pretty happy with this one. And uh, you guys just finished playing Saginaw 1-6-4. Did you end up doing the game with Fred on the road? I wasn't on the road uh, this weekend with the team when they went to Sarnia, Flint, and Saginaw. I watched all the games, and uh, I have to say that this team has it's had its struggles in the second half of the season, but to finish on a high note the way they did with back-to-back -back wins in Flint and Saginaw, I think that's going to do them a lot of good heading towards the playoffs. Overall, as, as a play-by-play -play announcer for the attack, you've seen this team a lot. Do you feel the London matchup is a little bit better than the Windsor matchup, or it really didn't matter between those teams? No, I think 100% this is uh, the best matchup they could have got. You mentioned the stats from the, the season series, and you know the attack had a bit of success. That being said, some of their success against the Knights came earlier in the season when London maybe hadn't found their stride. They hadn't really found the team that they were going to become. Uh, and if you just look at the way the Knights 
finished about the last three quarters of the season, uh, they were outstanding. And I just think it took them a little bit of time to get their footing. But the attack had a win over the Knights going back about a month ago on home ice. They play them very well. They know them very well from last season when the schedule was uh, pretty much kept that you played just within your conference. Uh, the attack and the Knights met, uh, I think it was 10 times last year. So you mix in the meetings they had this season. These teams know each other really well. And I think from a, a strategy standpoint, they can game plan for the Knights uh, probably a little better than they could have for the Windsor Spitfires or the Sarnia Sting as it went into the last week of the season. It could have been any of those three teams. I just look at, uh, and I know we'll talk a bit about this matchup and, and the various teams in the Western Conference, but I look at the way the Knights are built compared to Sarnia and Windsor. And I think both those teams are just juggernauts. I think the Knights are obviously very capable of going on a long playoff run, but uh, I think they have just a few more question marks around them that if you're the attack, you hope to exploit and, you go back to last season, Chris, the Kitchener Rangers were the seven seed playing against the London Knights, who were the two seed in the first round, and Kitchener upset them. So uh, I guess this is all just kind of bulletin board material if you're the attack you put up there to, to give yourself uh, the belief that you have a, a fighting chance. I, I know you've been involved with the league a long time, and so have I. And uh, in the old days, uh, if you finished fifth, sixth, seventh, or eighth, you were pretty well gone in the first round in four or five games. And now I find the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth teams are capable of pulling up the upsets. And I don't, I think there might be a few upsets in the, in the uh, OHL playoffs in both the West and the Eastern conference. I don't think there's going to be too many sweeps. Yeah. You know what? And I'm not sure what the reason is. I saw somebody post that it's been uh, almost 20 years since the last time that an eight seed upset a one seed. That being said, it's not uncommon to see those eight seeds at least steal a game from the one seed in the first round. You look in the Western Conference this year at a team like the Kitchener Rangers, who at the trade deadline went out and tried to bolster their lineup. They have a lot of veterans. They're much better than your traditional uh, eight seeds. So that being said, I think they've got a tough task if they want to upset the Windsor Spitfires, but I'm not going to put it past them to really give them a fight. And I think when you think about the fact that junior hockey is such a cycle, uh, it's almost you have to build your team for every four years and maybe you're not peaking at the right time, but you've got some veterans that you realize we got to take a kick at this. We got to go for it. Um, maybe that's why you are finding some of those teams that finish in those spots five through eight. Uh, they're a little better than the record indicates. They're veterans. They've seen a lot. They're capable of of stealing games and, and finding a way to get the job done. So it, it's only a good thing for the league if you have that kind of parity. Nobody wants to see blowouts in the first round. And in some sports, that is the case. But I find in the OHL, for the most part, uh, you know, those lower seeds do uh, show up and, and give a good effort, whether they get the upset or not. And look at the goal storm, the expectations. They, they were supposed to be one of the top teams. And they struggled really until Christmas time. And, and they have been playing a little bit better. And uh, I do think they can give uh, a, a Sarnia a good series. I just think the Saint Sting in a, in a seven-game series, I, I still think they're going to come out of that series. But before we get on to some questions, Mark, uh, what are your thoughts on Daryl Hunter's uh, 900s career win as the head coach of the Knights? And I believe it's only the third coach in the OHL history to win 900 games yeah i think he joins brian kilray burt templeton is what i want to guess uh with the other two um dale hunter i, I think you know he had this persona a, a lot uh, earlier in his coaching career in the ohl of being you know quite the character obviously people know him from his playing days and the nasty player but also had that skill that he was able to display when he played in the nhl and the job he and his brother mark Hunter have done with the london knights uh love them or hate them you have to respect them and i think for 
the OHL, it's a good thing to have a team like the London Knights. You know, a lot of people compare them to the New York Yankees of the OHL, but you need that. You need uh, villains, I guess you could say. And you do need those franchises that are kind of that gold standard that everyone's trying to uh, match or at least knock off. And when you think about the fact that this London Knights team, especially, this may be one of the best coaching jobs Dale Hunter's ever done over these years. Obviously, you somebody might say, as critics at least will say, well, look at the talent he's had. Of course, they're going to win a lot of games. But he has made a lot of these players. He has helped develop NHL players. He has got players to reach their potential. There's been a lot of players that have come to London with all the hype around them, and they've been able to live up to that billing, whereas some players, and, and we've seen it before, they just you know can have all the hype in the world, but you have to have somebody give you that help to get you over the edge. And I look at the team the Knights have this year, and it goes back to what I'm expecting to see in this series between Owen Sound and London. After about the first couple games of the season, I had a chance to see the Knights, and I said, good team, where's the offense going to come from? Where's that superstar? Because there's always a superstar in London. But this is maybe one of their most well-balanced teams, and he's been able to get contributions throughout his entire lineup. He doesn't just look to one or two players to go out there to drive the offense, and then they'll find a way to get the job done. He looks at everybody to contribute, and that, I think, is a testament to the coaching uh, of Dale Hunter and just uh, how talented he is because he's been able to get, like I said, everybody to buy in this season for this Knights team in, in a year where they didn't even have a 30-goal scorer and they still won a division title. I think that's uh, very remarkable. What do you think of some of his moves in bringing in George Diacolo, Ryan Humphrey, and um... – Ryan Winterton from the OHL champion Hamilton Bulldogs. Well, that's exactly it. You mentioned that they're champions, and I think that experience is invaluable. Um, it's a big reason why I think a team like the Windsor Spitfires are just going to be so hard to knock off in the Western Conference. Going on a playoff run, getting through three rounds to make it to that championship series is no small feat. So to have that experience of going on a deep run, players like Diaco, Winterton, and Humphrey that you mentioned, they can come into that locker room and on night one of the playoffs, there's no surprises to them. They've now seen it all, and they know what it takes to get over the hump and to lift that J. Ross Robertson trophy over their heads. So I think it was a, an interesting approach by the Hunters to go out and acquire players like that because they could have gone out and made those big splashes and tried to get a Brennan Othman type player, some of those real big names that were available coming to the trade deadline, the superstars of the OHL, I guess you could call them a Logan Morrison. Hey, he played in Hamilton. I mean, he was available, but they went out and got some character guys with a lot of skill as well. And I think uh, that's going to suit them very well because it goes back to what I said. I, I didn't think this Knights team had that one or two superstars that they could count upon to you know be 100-point players to go out there and uh, just dazzle everyone every night. Instead, they've gone with the team approach and you need that in the playoffs. Uh, I think everybody will tell you that on any given night in the playoffs, anybody could be a hero. And a lot of the times it's some of those depth players who rise to the occasion to score that big goal or make that big play. And the Knights have got a lot of those depth players, I guess you could call them. Are you going to be able to do some of the games on the road with uh, Fred this weekend? I believe game one is Friday night in London and then Sunday afternoon at two o'clock at Budweiser Gardens. Yes, I will be. Uh, I'll be at all the games uh, for the playoffs here up here on out. Uh, uh, hopefully, like I said, it's a, it's a long playoff run and we're doing lots of games. Um, I know uh, Fred, uh, obviously, he, he's a legendary broadcaster in the OHL. and He's actually, this past season, has uh, more or less stepped aside. He's taken a year off. Um, he had a bit of a health issue last year, so uh, he decided just to, to back off. 30-plus years riding the buses, 
being uh, on the road. Uh, it'll it'll certainly do its number on you. And and I I commend I commend uh, Fred for uh, being able to step back because I'm, I know it probably is eaten at him. I'm sure he'd love to be there, but he's taken uh, taken this year just to rest. He's still doing all the home games as the PA announcer. So uh, instead, uh, you know, a nice opportunity popped up for uh, Matt Hermes, who works um, right alongside Fred up at uh, 560 CFOS and, and Bayshore Broadcasting up in Owen Sound. And uh, Matt's had the opportunity to to be uh, kind of carrying the load on the radio side this year and, and making it to all the games. And uh, he's been uh, a blast to work alongside. I think I worked probably close to 20 of the road games this year of the 34. So, uh, you know, we've created a nice chemistry on the air together and, and Matt does a really good job. And, uh, you know, I guess you could say that Bear Radio, which uh, was the creation of Fred Wallace, has certainly been in good hands with Matt. Anybody watching this or listening to this podcast show want to listen to attack game on the radio? Uh, what time do you guys normally go on the air? Like about 15 minutes before face off? Yeah, we actually go on 30 minutes. Uh, we do a pregame show for a full 30 minutes, uh, go through all the various storylines, usually have a couple of interviews, uh, catch up with the attacks head coach, Greg Walters, uh, one of the players maybe on the attack or on the opposing team and uh, just get everybody teed up for the matchup and, Usually that 30-minute pregame show has probably got uh, some pretty good information that uh, Attack fans and OHL fans like to pick up on, especially around this time of the year when uh, there's a lot of questions around players who are maybe banged up, whether they're going to be in the lineup, what's their timetable for getting back. So, uh, you know, we try to bring the fans uh, as much information as we can, not just to get them ready for that game, but to, to keep them up to date on what's happening with Attack Hockey. And then, of course, uh, you know, we cover the game from start to finish and then usually wrap up probably about 15 to 20 minutes after just kind of going through some post-game notes. So uh, we're usually on the air for at least three, three and a half hours uh, for most of the away games. And as you mentioned, coming up on uh, Friday night, we'll be on there at 6.30 on uh, 560 CFOS, which you can go to the website, 560cfos.ca. Definitely. And uh, hopefully Fred will be at the uh, home games in Owen Sound, hopefully. Oh, yeah, he will be. As, like I said, he's been the uh, the PA announcer all season long. Uh, hasn't missed a beat with that, but uh, – probably been uh, a bit of a shift for him to have uh, most Friday nights now off instead of being on the road and keep in mind you know he does the the morning show there in Owen Sound so uh, some late nights getting home and then some quick turnarounds not getting much sleep but uh, Fred is uh, again he's the voice uh, of attack hockey and platers hockey going back to day one there in Owen Sound so uh, still having him apart uh, is absolutely huge for the organization. What's the overall consensus of the, what's the fans uh, feel like? Are they optimistic that the attack can uh, take out the Knights? And uh, do you know by any chance how the ticket sales are going for the games in Owen Sound? Yeah, I would uh, to answer the first part of your question there. I would say if you ask the fans going into this past weekend, uh, there probably wasn't a lot of optimism. You know, this team didn't live up to the expectations that they had uh, on them going into the regular season. You look back at last year, you had a rookie in Colby Barlow who scored 30 goals. He certainly lived up to the expectations and exceeded them, finishing the year with 46 goals. And he, if he hadn't got hurt uh, in the last couple of weeks and had to miss some games, he probably would have hit the 50-goal mark in his draft-eligible season, which would have been incredible. But uh, a few of the other players uh, didn't necessarily get to their point totals 
or didn't really blow by them the way that you would have thought. And the team didn't even match their number of wins from last year. So I, I think it's safe to say there's been uh, a bit of disappointment there in Owen Sound. That being said, that can all be fixed with uh, an upset victory in round one. I think a lot of people aren't uh, waving the white towel just yet, and they aren't giving up on this team because there's just too much talent. And that's what I keep coming back to. Despite them having their struggles, despite them basically being a 500 hockey team and actually below 500 for the second half of the season, I just look at what they've got and they show glimpses of brilliance so i think the team will be all right uh as for ticket sales um you know that that's the one tough thing about the ohl playoffs in round one is if you're not the higher seed you don't necessarily get those preferred dates to kick off the series you mentioned london hosting games on friday and sunday those are familiar days for them uh, they should do very well the attacks home dates are tuesday and thursday for games three and four not traditionally uh your your traditional home nights that being said uh, the attack have played a couple of Tuesdays. You know, they do play a lot of Wednesdays throughout the regular season. So fans are familiar with that. And they catch a bit of a break with the way that the playoff dates fall this year because that Thursday night for game four actually comes up the day before Good Friday. So it's a holiday for a lot of people. So they, I think the ticket sales will be strong. They had a great turnout all season long uh, on the final Saturday home game. You know, it was a sellout, 3,200 plus. So uh, I think uh, it's one of those fan bases that whatever night of the week you're playing, they're going to turn out and support really well. And you have to think as well, Chris, Knights uh, fans usually travel pretty well. And I'm sure they'll be uh, in attendance at the Bayshore. I was going to say, I've never been to a game in Owen Sound. And uh, from what I saw in that TikTok video I posted about uh, the Bayshore uh, Harry Lumley Arena, it mm -hmm. looks like a, a beautiful uh, facility and they've really made some nice changes to it. And I believe it's the smallest uh, arena in the OHL at 3,400 seats. It is. It's uh, about to become the second smallest when Hamilton officially moves to Brantford. So we kind of lose that uh, distinction, which maybe that's good or bad. That being said, I... I think, and I've heard people throughout the organization always say this, uh, might be the smallest market in the OHL, but it's got the biggest heart. And I, I truly do believe that. You look at the building at the Bayshore, it's got character. Uh, a lot of the newer buildings in the OHL, you know, they're kind of cookie cutter. Uh, you don't necessarily have that home ice advantage the way that you do at the Bayshore, where you have the low ceilings, the fans are right on top of the players. Opposing, opposing, opposing players will always say it's one of the toughest buildings to come play in because it's just so loud. When that crowd gets rocking, like I said, for a smaller building, uh, it makes a ton of noise. The noise just vibrates, and uh, it's a tough place to play. And it's got its quirks. You know, the boards are very lively. Uh, opposing teams, you'll see them in the warm-up kind of practicing where they're firing some pucks just to see how the bounces are. But you can never predict them at the Bay Shore. The, the stanchions, there always seems to be one awkward one in the corner. They'll pop a puck out towards the slot. So it could be a nightmare for goalies when they come out to play the puck. And um, as a broadcaster, we hang right above basically center ice we have this basically it almost looks like a, a portable or, or a bin that was attached i'm not even sure how they built it but it leans right over top of the penalty boxes and we're looking straight down at the action uh you don't get a much uh, closer feel than that uh, anywhere else in the league i guess we'll see what branford's like so it's a pretty neat uh, spot obviously you, you like Owen sound for broadcasting, but what are some of your favorite other OHL arenas to broadcast games from? And what are your thoughts on uh, the first Ontario centers press box where you got to go up a catwalk? Yeah, that one, uh, if you're afraid of heights, uh, it certainly will test you. I I'm not, uh, I'm not a big fan of heights. That being said, they don't necessarily get me trembling or get me shaking. So I, I don't mind it all that much. I actually find that the catwalk, in Oshawa, I find that one a little more difficult to do uh, as it just doesn't seem to be as much structure around you. I know you're safe up there, but 
you basically feel like you could just look down and you drop something and it'll go right to the ice. But uh, those are some neat uh, experiences. We only get to do them a couple of times a season, uh, at least uh, broadcasting games for Owen Sound, because we only go over to the Eastern Conference teams uh, on the road once. I'd have to say from a, a broadcast standpoint, I find, uh, and, and you know it very well, I find the Sleeman Center calling games in Guelph. That has got to be one of the best broadcast locations for the opposing uh, radio. We're sitting right front row there in that press box, right at center ice, uh, almost leaning right over the penalty box, like I said, Maybe not as close as it is in Owen Sound, but you've got great uh, views of the ice. You can just sit right there and look left to right, and uh, there's no obstruction. So that one certainly is up there. It's one of the best spots to broadcast a game. I'm trying to think of a few others. Um, you know, there's some teams now that have got you kind of almost in the corner. I know that's kind of the situation in Windsor, and, and Ottawa is a little unique as well. But I would say for for the best broadcast spots, I would definitely put uh, Guelph up there. And then uh, one that I really enjoy because it's not necessarily the best broadcast spot, but it's got some character would be Barry uh, as uh, at the Sadlin Arena. You just walk up the stairs and when you get to the final row of seats, you just go through kind of an entrance and you're into the press box. And when you're calling games, the fans are literally sitting right in front of you. So uh, usually it's good for some people watching or or when uh, the attack score a goal, if we get a little excited, uh, the fans quickly will turn around and glare at you. So that one's a little unique. Definitely. Now, um, I wanted to ask you this too, Mark. Um, the attack. Who is the start starting? Who's going to be the starting goalie for the attack in this series? That's <laughs> a that's a great question. I'm not even sure the attack know that they goaltending uh, has been a, a big question mark for this team, which is which is really too bad because I, I didn't think it would be an issue going into this season. They had an overage netminder in Nick Chenard who I thought performed very well last year. He took over the number one spot midway through last season when they traded Mac Guzda off to the Barry Colts. Nick really embraced that number one spot. He had a great showing last year in the playoffs, and he started this season well, but uh, he suffered uh, an ankle injury and uh, took him out for a little bit of time. And when he came back, I just don't think he ever got his game back. You know, he's looked a little slow, and um, you, you know, we know goaltending is so much – uh, what goes on between the ears. And and I just wonder for Nick Chenard, he just never really got his confidence back to where it once was. And I still have a belief that he can find that game. Obviously, as I mentioned, he's an overager in this league, so he doesn't have much time left. So I really hope he does find that game because Nick's a really good kid. And, and I hope he can have uh, some good success here to cap off his OHL career. His backup, Corbin Votary, was the third goalie last season that moved into the backup role after the trade of Matt Guzda. Um, we only saw glimpses of him last year, but he's very athletic. And this year, I thought he's taken some great strides forward. Um, maybe not ready to be the number one just yet, but the opportunity could be there for him. And uh, I think he, like I said, has shown some flashes of brilliance at times. So it's going to come down to those two. They have a rookie goaltender, Carter George, who's playing junior B right now with the St. Mary's Lincolns. And unfortunately, uh, you know, some people that follow the OHL might know this story, but Carter George, uh, he came up to Owen Sound and was just brilliant. He played 10 games for the attack this year. Uh, he won seven of those games. He had a low goals against average of just over two, a save percentage, I think, of about 930. And realistically, I think everyone would agree right now, he gives the attack the best chance to win. Unfortunately, he was on an AP. He was an affiliated player, which means uh, he's essentially a call-up. And because he was signed to one of those cards, he can only play 10 games, at least uh, 10 until his junior B season comes to an end. It hasn't come to an end yet. St. Mary's is on, I think, to their conference finals in the junior B loop. So until they're eliminated, um, you know, he has to stay there in St. Mary's. Uh, once he's eliminated, uh, his team's done their season. He can come back to Owen Sound, and Owen Sound can put him in net. 
Uh, I just don't think uh, the timing's going to match up well because, as I mentioned, St. Mary's has another series coming up. They're going to be playing against Leamington. It's probably going to start maybe a day before the attack begin their first round series against London. So unlikely that it's going to end uh, really in time for Carter George to come back up, which is too bad because he performed really well. Um, and I think he exceeded all expectations. And the nice thing is, uh, to your point, I can guarantee next year uh, the attack have a pretty good idea of who the number one is going to be. So uh, goaltending shouldn't be an issue going forward for the next few years. That might be a deciding factor in this series is the goaltending and who has the more consistent. So I have to give London the edge right now with mm-hmm. Brett Bershu, uh, who's one of the best goalies in the league. But uh, is there any chance the attack could rotate goalies game by game? Or you think they're going to just pick somebody and stick with them? I think their hope is whoever they give the, the reins to for game one will take that and perform well going forward and, and maybe can be the guy. That being said, uh, they haven't they haven't seen that lately. They haven't seen one of those guys step up and, and grab that number one spot. Corbin Votary was actually out for a little bit. Uh, he had mono, so that sidelined him for several weeks. He only came back in the last couple of weeks, so he's got a little bit of game action, but um, I think it's safe to say maybe he hasn't uh, – got his game back to, to the level where it was when he went down because he was playing really well and it looked like he wasn't embracing and, and grabbing that number one spot. So maybe a few more reps, he's going to be there. Um, we'll have to wait and see. But the other thing is it's probably pretty easy uh, for the coaches as well, that if you drop a game, you go to the other guy just to shake things up. You you, you get both goaltenders in. And, and like I said, you just hope that one catches fire because that's all you need. You just need the goaltender to catch fire. And uh, not everybody can be a goalie in the OHL. It takes a pretty good talent. So even as I said, maybe these players haven't played to the level that we think uh, they, they're capable of, but they are capable of it. So maybe they will find it. To your other point, though, if Brett Brochu ever goes down, boy, the London Knights have a backup, Zach Bowen who had an incredible year as well. He had the best goals against average for a rookie goaltender. So nice uh, nice situation to be in if you're Dale Hunter in the Knights that should Brochu, who is certainly the man, uh, have any issues. They've got a nice backup to count upon. Definitely, and goaltending is huge. Now, this I wanted to ask you as well, Mark. What do you exact, What do you like about the attack hitting into the playoffs? And what are some players that have stepped up their game this season? Obviously, Carl uh, Kobe Barlow has with 46 goals and 33 assists, 79 points. But who are some other players to watch on the attack in this series? It's a good question. I, I think a lot of the, the focus certainly looks up front at players like Barlow. But I, I'll start with the back end because their defense needs to be real strong to have success and a couple of players have really stepped up their game this year. Uh, Teos Jordan, he was a late round draft pick a couple of years ago who just made the team last year, uh, kind of came in as that seventh defenseman. And here by the end of this season, he's really become a top pairing D-man. Uh, he had a great season for the attack. He had 15 points. Uh, points necessarily isn't going to be the number one stat you look at with him. I look at his plus minus. He was a plus 10. So for a, a second year D-man, who got elevated in the lineup to have to play against a lot of the opponent's best players. I think to finish as a plus 10 uh, is very impressive, and I I feel very comfortable when he's on the ice. Another defenseman is Nolan Seed, who was originally a first-round draft pick back in uh, 2018. It's not too often that you do see those first-round picks uh, make it to their overage season, but that's the case uh, uh, that we have here with Nolan. And when you look at uh, the way that Nolan, his game has taken gone to another level this season i think he certainly deserves all kinds of accolades to me i think he's been the unsung hero for this team um highly touted coming into the league maybe hadn't reached those expectations in his first few years but i also have to think that losing that entire season 
uh, due to COVID, you know, that was smack dab in the middle of what would have been a five-year career in the OHL. That certainly will stunt your development. And I think this year he, he has really found his game. He had 33 points, finished as a plus 18, best plus minus, uh, one of the best plus minuses on the team. Uh, that's quite a turnaround for a player that was a minus last year. And it uh, goes back to what I said about Taylor Jordan. When uh, Nolan Seed's on the ice, I feel really comfortable, uh, whether that's uh, carrying the puck or trying to shut down uh, opponents in the defensive zone. So D's going to have to be really good for the attack. Um, you know, they gave up a lot of goals in the second half of the season. So they, they need to game plan very well to try and shut down the Knights. Um, looking up front, you mentioned about Colby Barlow in the season. He had 79 points. Uh, he's been banged up the last couple of weeks. All signs point towards him being back for game number one. That's huge because he has the puck on his stick an awful lot. He really drives the play. And he had one of the highest shots on goal totals in the league. So, you know, for a player that scores 46 goals, he had nearly 300 shots. Uh, you can imagine, like I said, just how impactful he is in a game. Um, and he can really be a, one of those impact players, a make or break kind of player. So I'll look to Colby Barlow if he can hopefully not miss a beat from being out a couple of weeks. Maybe he's fresh. You know, hopefully that injury isn't lingering and, and he'll be ready to go. But as well, they need to have uh, some of their other, what you would call them notable forwards, some of their top six forwards, really contribute at a real good rate a uh, player like Cedric Gangdon was a 30 goal scorer in his rookie year only got 22 goals this year uh, he'll be the first to tell you that maybe goal scoring is the number one aspect of his game maybe he is more of a playmaker but uh, like I said he's another one of those players that has the puck on his stick an awful lot so I think he can be a big big time impact player for the attack and he also takes a lot of their important face-offs um, Denny Gore is a veteran in this league now uh, maybe back as an overager next year, but maybe he's the kind of player that could get a pro contract uh, and not be back in the OHL next year. So this is his moment to shine as well. And then they have a Slovakian forward named Servak Petrovsky, who had a great rookie season, very similar to what I said about Cedric Gaindon, scored nearly 30 goals in his rookie year. He had 28 goals. This year he only had 24. Uh, he just uh, eclipsed his point total from last season. He got 55 points the year before he had 54. Uh, I would say his uh, season was a little bit of a disappointment. That being said, I thought he played some of his best hockey down the stretch. So hopefully he can carry that into the playoffs. So uh, you have to get contributions from everyone. That's the most important thing. And, and hopefully this team will uh, in order to have success against the Knights. But it does come down to having clutch players. And, and Colby Barlow is certainly that. He led the league in game-winning goals with 12. Overall, uh, what's your thoughts on the direction of this franchise? And what are some of your keys to a, a possible attack upset to win this series against the London Knights? Yeah, I, I will start with that part first. Uh, I think in order to upset London, uh, the attack need to take advantage uh, of home ice. When, when they have games at the Bayshore, they, they have to convert. They, they have to get off to good starts. They have to use that home crowd to their advantage and, and hopefully secure the victories in those home games. Then it comes down to, can you steal one at the Budweiser Gardens? And this team has one at the Budweiser, Budweiser Gardens this season. So that needs to be in the back of their mind that they're capable of doing that. On the ice, uh, you know, they need to be the team that's controlling the play when it comes to puck possession. They, they have to really limit their turnovers. They need to clean up their play in their own zone because at times it's looked very scrambly. So if they can, you know, kind of clean that up, I'm not too worried about the offense. The goals will come. 
but they need to focus on defense first, help their netminders out, and put a little confidence in their goaltenders as well. Because sometimes I think it shows that this team uh, is kind of fragile at times. And when they give up a goal, uh, maybe they get a little down. So they need to kind of find that confidence because uh, they're a team that doesn't lack confidence, at least when you talk to a lot of these players. But sometimes as a unit, it seems that they do. So hopefully they can limit the turnovers. And like I said, you just got to protect home ice if you want to upset London. And um, again, the, the one thing it'll come down to, you mentioned it, I give the edge goaltending to the Knights. Uh, on defense as well, uh, I think it's maybe slight advantage there for the Knights. But the forward groups, um, as much as the Knights have four lines they can roll at you, I think uh, high-end talent, I think Owen Sound can maybe outmatch them. I think a Colby Barlow, a Denny Gordon, Cedric Gaines, Donald Servak, Petrovsky, I think they can maybe be the difference makers when it comes to the matchup between the forwards. So if you're the attack, you just have to follow the game plan, have some trust in your coaches who are going to give them, hopefully, the map to success, and, and you got to play it to a T. It'll be a real tough task, but I think this team is capable of really pushing London uh, to the brink and, and hopefully – pulling that upset because I think a lot of people had this attack team pegged for winning a round this year after they went seven games in round one last year. So to your other point about what is the future of this team, what do I see for the future of this team? Um, I really thought they were in this window right now where they can win. Uh, after last year, we saw a tremendous season from a lot of their youngsters who were only in their first season in the OHL, which meant you've got a couple more years with those guys. They've also got a nice nucleus when it comes to some of their older players. They're going to have some tough decisions next year when it comes to their overagers. But I think no matter who they decide to keep, the three players that they decide to go with as overagers, they're impact players. And that's what you need. Uh, you think you need your overagers to be impact players. You can't just have tag-alongs who are you know good players, but not uh, impact players. And I think they'll be okay. So I look at next year as the kind of year where the attack have to look at it as this is their chance to win. You know, I think it can be tough to make that decision to go all in, but this is the year to do it. I would say would be next year. I don't think Colby Barlow will be back after next season. You know, he's going to be a top 15 pick in the NHL draft coming up this June. After that, I think he'll play one more year in the OHL. He's certainly going to be on Canada's world junior roster next year. And then next year, what I look at is, you know, that's your year. You've got all these pieces, good overagers and some now veterans who know how to score in this league and a good young goaltender in Carter George. I think you got to go for it. So I think the future is very bright, but I think there's going to be a lot of decisions that need to be made going into next season. Um, this isn't a team that necessarily looks to go all in. You know, they want to be successful each and every year. But uh, boy, I, I think with the pieces they got, it's awfully hard not to put all your cards and all your chips in next season and just go for it. Where do you rank uh, Kobe Barlow and terms of being one of the best players in the OHL and uh, how much has he improved his game this year? What have you noticed a lot more from him this year than last year that just overall confidence? Yeah, I, I would say his defensive game, how responsible he is in his own zone. Um, you can tell that he has certainly made a lot of strides to, to improve that area of his game, which I don't think ever was poor. <laughs> I think it was really good actually. And it's even better now. So he's been trying to become a well-rounded player as well, his shot is just lethal. I think he has the best shot in the league. And that's saying something for a player who is only 17 years old coming into this season. You know, he is just uh, uh, a man out there at times for a kid who uh, comes from Aurelia and came into this league as uh, I would think a lot of people um, maybe weren't as familiar as they would have been. You know, there's a the kind of player that I think Owen sounds very lucky that uh, there wasn't really much hockey being played during that COVID year because they got him at number eight. Uh, with the shot he has, I can't see any way he would have still been on the board at number eight if he'd played a true 
um, under 16 season um, playing for the Toronto Marlboros in the GTHL. So I would say the attack uh, were very fortunate in that case. And um, he's a great leader. And, and I will chalk that up to, um, you know, probably just the way that he was brought up because um, for a young man, uh, he really exemplifies what a leader should be. Um, I think he probably is vocal at the right times with his teammates, but he leads by example on the ice. Um, the saying I always go to, he takes the bull by the horns and he just goes out there and he can just take over at times. So I, I have him up there uh, as one of the elite players in this league. I don't think you would be wrong this year when you go to vote for player of the year or most outstanding player of the year, um, as the award is titled in the OHL. If you gave a vote to Colby Barlow, probably not going to win, probably going to go to a Matthew Maggio, maybe even a Brant Clark who only played half the year, but was just dominant. But I think next season, Colby Barlow will be in that conversation. He certainly deserves to to be in that conversation as well. You know, Chris, I think one thing that um, you got to mention when you talk about Colby is the fact that going into this year, after scoring 30 goals as a 16-year-old, expectations were were really high. And uh, it could have been kind of that uh, sophomore slump, that second year uh, where maybe things don't continue to go as upwards as you were expecting. And, and that'd been natural because it's a lot to, to put on a young man's shoulders, especially when they slap the C on his chest uh, just prior to the season. You know, that's a, a lot of extra pressure and it's a draft year and there's all eyes on him. There's scouts in the building every night, but uh, this didn't seem to phase him. So be just seeing him put up the points and, and play the way he did this year. Um, you know, I'm one of the biggest fans of Colby Barlow and, and I'm really excited to see what his future has in store for him. You're just mentioning the second year sophomore thing, and uh, I noticed with the storm this year, Cam Allen. Uh, I, I don't think he, he's still a tremendous player, but I think the expectations you're right sometimes that second year is it, just it's hard from the first year, and I noticed that with Cam Allen this year. Yeah, I, I 100% uh, I believe in it. Not every player is going to be able to, um, you know, embrace uh, that challenge and, and you know, get over it right at the start. Um, it takes some time. And in the, in the case of Cam Allen, I think he found his game in the second part of the year. But you look at what he had to deal with early in the season. Now he is playing on that top pairing uh, for the Guelph Storm. He is going up against, and especially D is a little bit different, but he's going up against uh, the other team's best players, their best line trying to shut them down. Uh, it's a tough task. You saw some frustration. He took some uh, unnecessary penalties. His plus minus rating was not very good early in the year felt like uh, he was just flustered and you know it's a lot to put on his shoulders but we probably saw his character as well which I'd have to think is pretty high because I think he got it figured out as the year went on he didn't let this entire season um, become a disappointment and become a waste uh, he was able to salvage it in the second half of the year so I gotta uh, commend him and give him his props for for finding his game in the second half of the season but it is tough it is really tough all right, and I'm going to ask you this question. What are your thoughts on the attack uh, acquiring former Gulf Storm player and ice dog Matt Pappas from Niagara this season, and how well has he fit in with the team? I think it was one of those trades that uh, it goes back to a lot of people questioning what the heck's going on uh, with the Niagara ice dogs. Uh, the attack didn't have to spend as much as the ice dogs did to get Pappas from the Storm. So if you're following me there, you know he didn't spend much time in Niagara. He only played six games. And, uh, you know, the attack gave up basically, I think it was one draft pick. They get Pappas from Niagara. Meanwhile, uh, I believe it was like a third and fifth round pick that uh, the Storm got when they traded him to the Ice Dogs originally. So a little bit of a head scratcher there, but uh, he's been a real nice overager for the attack this year. Uh, the kind of player that uh, maybe wasn't as noticeable all season long, but I thought he came up in some big moments. Uh, he, as a veteran in this league, 
found the the right occasions to to step up and, and to be that leader uh, to score a big goal for this team. So uh, that's the kind of uh, like I said, you need your overagers to be impact players, and and I'd put them in that category. I think it was a real good move by Dale DeGray, who has a great track record of acquiring a real. Uh, impactful overagers over the years. So I think that was an, a nice pickup, especially early in the season when the attack, um, they were still pretty young up front. They didn't have a lot of game experience with some of their forwards. So they needed a veteran. And uh, I think that was a good pickup. And um, hopefully, you know, Matthew can finish off his uh, OHL career in style in the playoffs because um, he'll be counted upon. Uh, he really played, I think, at different parts in the season, up and down the lineup. Uh, but that's a nice uh, piece to have. It's nice to have a versatile player like that if you're the coach to look at that you could throw him up on the first line. Or if you've got to play him in that bottom six, uh, you know what you're going to get. Hey, Mark, do you still – are you good for a little more time? Yep, good to go. Okay. Um, since we were talking about the Ice Dogs briefly, uh, what are your thoughts on Evan McGrath, the 2003 Memorial Cup champion with the Kitchener Rangers, being uh, announced as a head of hockey operations for the Ice Dogs today? Yeah, that's a, that was a really interesting um, move to see. Um, as I go, we was just mentioning the fact that this Ice Dogs team just seemed to lack some direction. Um, you know, I think it's pretty obvious that uh, their owner uh, and general manager Darren DeDobler was was taking a lot of heat throughout the season. Uh, I'm not going to be one to sit here and pile on. You know, it's it's his first year uh, at the helm of an OHL organization, and hey. One year doesn't make or break uh, a legacy. You know, it's just the start. And this team, who knows? Maybe, um, you know, things could really turn around next season. Uh, obviously, they're going to have some uh, pretty good draft picks in the first round. Uh, you think about the fact of where they finished. They've got great odds to to get the first overall pick. Uh, but then as well, their first round pick from last season, uh, Sam Dickinson, didn't report. They traded him to London before the season began. So they're going to pick up a, a compensatory pick. Uh, that they'll be able to use early in that first round. So they're going to get two good players. Um, so that's nice for them. That helps uh, with a rebuild. And, uh, you know, you're trying to put your own fingerprints on a team. And it, it felt like every day they were making trades. But, yeah, it's probably really frustrating for the fan base there. But, again, uh, it's one of those. I'm sure there's a long-term approach to all of this and to adding in a, a, somebody of with the hockey mind and I'm sure uh, the resume that uh, Evan McGrath uh, has that's going to help. And, and maybe it's all part of a, a grand plan for the ice dogs, because uh, I would have to think it's pretty tough to be an owner and GM in this league. You hear now a lot of uh, those uh, old time folks in the league who were GM and coach say that it's almost impossible to do it these days, unless you've really got some good right hand people. So uh, I'm sure that's what the ice dogs are looking towards is kind of building that uh, group around Darren to Dobbler to, to help uh, lead this team in the right direction. And uh, keep in mind, they are one of the teams that bid for the Memorial Cup next year. So they're still in that hunt. I know we're going to find out pretty soon who's going to be hosting it. So if it does land in St. Catharines, uh, obviously the Ice Dogs are going to have to really have a, a real solid game plan for how they're going to tackle this next season. They do have a good fan base. I haven't been to the arena, but I've heard good things about it. Mm -hmm. And I think bringing Evan McGrath does give the organization some credibility. And I think stability is what they need as well. And uh, since I have you on here as well, what are your thoughts on this new uh, draft system for the OHL, the OHL draft lottery? Yeah, I think I don't mind it. Um, I think the way they did it in the past made sense. Uh, you know, the, the Ontario Hockey League, just like a lot of junior hockey team, uh, leagues, as I mentioned earlier, it's all a cycle. So you shouldn't necessarily be finding yourself in that bottom four or at the bottom of the league too many years in a row. Uh, if you draft well, you build well, you, you carry usually kind of a, a good group of players around the same age and you kind of ride with them through that cycle. And then it's usually time to start rebuilding. So 
Uh, I think it, it makes sense, though, just to avoid any teams that are maybe trying to tank. Uh, I don't really believe in that in uh, junior hockey as much because we don't know the players uh, as well. You know, maybe a Connor McDavid is uh, uh, and is kind of a bit of a uh, an outlier, or a or Michael Misa, those exceptional st- uh, status players. Obviously, everybody knows about them and the impact they're probably going to have. But you know, those are kind of generational types. Most years, uh, tanking not going to make a lot of sense uh, in the OHL. And don't forget, you know, your revenue line usually. Uh, is attendance and getting fans in the building. So you got to put a good product out on the ice. But uh, I think just for the sake of keeping things interesting, why not have a draft lottery? Uh, I don't think it hurts. There's usually not too much separating those bottom four teams. And the way the odds were weighted, I think the the worst team in the league's got a 40% chance. So you still got a pretty good shot at landing that first overall pick. All right. And this leads to my next question, Mark. Uh, just overall thoughts on uh, General Manager Dale DeGray and Greg Walters and the attack coaching staff overall. Well, look at uh, the job Dale DeGray has done since he came into Owen Sound. Uh, he followed uh, Mike Fuda uh, after his run as a GM of the attack. He came in, uh, and when he came in, there, the cupboards were pretty bare. And uh, within you know the first few years, uh, had this uh, organization really heading in the right direction. And by 2011, uh, they won an OHL championship. And as I mentioned, they've got now 12 straight years where they've eclipsed 30 wins. Uh, in all those years, they've made the playoffs. A lot of people will maybe be critical of that stat and say, why are you so proud of having 30 win seasons? You know, there's 68 games in a, in a season. So 34 and 34, you're 500. Uh, if you don't even get the 34 wins, you're not even 500. Why is it uh, so important? And I think it's important because it's the one of the, it is one of the smallest uh, markets in the CHL, the smallest in the OHL. This is the kind of market that I think um, the team means so much to, you know, they, they live in, and, and breathe attack hockey do the, the folks up in Owen Sound and the surrounding area. They want to cheer on a good team. They want to see their team have success. And I think uh, the owner group, ownership group and GM Dale DeGray are focused on making sure that they always put out a good product every single year, um, a team that the, the community can be proud of. And the job they've done to consistently be competitive, I think, uh, deserves all kinds of respect. So I think Dale DeGray has done a great job to your point uh, earlier about what I think of the future of the team and how I think next year they probably have to be all in. That hasn't necessarily been Dale DeGray's style, so it'll be interesting to see how he tackles next season. That being said, if there's one man that I believe could probably find a way to go all in and still keep his team um, you know, with the kind of assets that will allow them to be successful in the years after and to be competitive, I think it could be him. Uh, as for head coach Greg Walters, yeah, I'm a fan of his style. I think uh, you know he expects a lot out of his players, but at the same time, uh, they seem to buy in and, and they'll play that kind of physical and that rugged style that uh, I think he's a believer in as well as mixing in the skill. I always uh, thought that he did a really great job uh, in all of his stops before he got to Owen Sound. I had a real good chance to see uh, him as a coach and general manager in the OJHL where he spent a long time with the Georgetown Raiders. I used to help out with the team in Milton for several seasons and we saw Georgetown an awful lot and he always had great hockey clubs there. He was executive of the year at one point uh, in the OJHL, might have even been for the entire uh, Canadian Junior Hockey League at that tier two level. Um, So he had a great program there. Uh, His time in Oshawa, I always considered the generals at that time uh, to be a very Western Conference style of team. Uh, I've been a believer and it's starting to shift a bit now, but for a good stretch in the OHL, 
I always thought that the Western Conference, there was just different hockey compared to the Eastern Conference. I thought in the Western Conference, um, it was a lot tougher. You know, you had to be physical. There were rough games over on that side with a tremendous amount of skill, whereas some nights in the Eastern Conference, and maybe you chalk it up to some of the teams there, some of the fan bases that don't necessarily turn out in droves, some quieter buildings, um, didn't seem to have that same kind of bite. But the Oshawa Generals always did, and I think that he really um, made his team uh, play that kind of hockey where they were accountable. You know, they had to go out and they had to put in big efforts. So I thought he was the right man to come in and, and be the head coach with the Owen Sound attack. And, you know, the fan base might be a little uh, flustered and, and a little rattled with the way the rest of this season went and not living up to the expectations. But uh, I don't think one year makes or breaks, um, you know, a legacy, as I mentioned earlier. So I look at head coach Greg Walters and his coach staff around him. I've got a lot of belief in them. I think they'll be all right. And um, I think, uh, you know, you see the way that, uh, you know, I think he really sticks up for his players out there. You know, a lot of times you'll see him get the shouting matches with the other team's coaches. You know, he he, he has his players' backs, and, and I think that's very important. And I just like the style of hockey that the attack play. And uh, Owen Sound's coming up on, what, 35 years? Which is hard to believe. I feel so old because I remember when they first moved to Owen Sound in 1989, and a lot of people are like, oh, they won't last more than two or three years in Owen Sound, and they proved us wrong on that. Yeah, um, that's a good point. I know it's been over 30 years. That's right. And uh, I think if anybody saw the the festivities that went on up in Owen Sound for Hockey Day in Canada, that would be a good indication of just how passionate that uh, community is for the game of hockey and for their own sound attack. It's what they love. Um, and this is a, uh, a team that, uh, like I said, they, they are the community, right? A Saturday night, what are you going to do up in Owen Sound? Well, you're going to go to the game. As much as it's going to see a hockey game, it's also like going to church in a sense. That's how I always uh, uh, look at it. it it's, it's almost like a religion up there, and it's what people uh, get out for their social outing on a Saturday night to see all their friends, to see their family, and, and to have a good time. So it means a lot to the community up there. I'm, I'm so thankful that the team has made it this long, and a lot of that goes to um, obviously the fan base, but also, also just the, the great people behind the scenes and the organization, whether that's the owners right down to the front office staff to, to everybody that contributes. Uh, they got a great crew up there. All right. I just got a few more questions for you, Mark, if you're still good for time. Mm -hmm. uh, can you just tell us about your hockey day and own sound experience with Rogers and meeting hockey night in Canada, longtime uh, host Ron McLean? What was that experience like? Uh, it was awesome. Uh, that entire week, there were so many festivities going on. Um, some we're going to remember forever. Uh, Owen Sound had been selected to be the host city for Hockey Day in Canada um, a few years back, but unfortunately, COVID kept delaying it. Uh, they never got that opportunity to host until finally this past January. And the city, uh, I don't think it ever looked uh, as great as it did on that week. Um, and and that, especially that day, that 12-hour broadcast up in, in Owen Sound, uh, led by Ron McLean. Um, there was stuff going on all week long, events that people could take part in. I'm sure for the minor hockey players, uh, you know, they had opportunities to meet some NHL alumni, to meet uh, some real, some really great people in the game of hockey uh, as well. The the women's hockey game, uh, hockey got a great opportunity to be on display. There was a professional game up there at the Bayshore on the Saturday, as well as a university contest between the University of Guelph and the University of Waterloo. Uh, the minor hockey teams got chances to go through some skill clinics. Uh, on the Friday, there was a high school game for the boys and the girls, uh, a packed Bayshore, about 3,000 people cheering them on. So there was a lot of memories made that week. And, and to your point, you, you mentioned I had the opportunity to, to actually 
go on uh, Sportsnet and get interviewed by uh, Ron McLean. So that was just a huge thrill uh, as a, a hockey fan who grew up here in Canada watching Hockey Night in Canada every Saturday night. Um, that's the man that we watched every Saturday night and to have a chance to have him put a microphone in front of me and, and to talk to him. It's something I'll, I'll always remember. So I'm going to cherish those memories for a long time. All right. And uh, I wanted to ask you this as well, Mark. Uh, again, my condolences. But can you tell us how much uh, your late grandfather, Ray McAlvey, meant to your family and to Junior A Hockey in Owen Sound? Yeah, um, this, it's been a tough year uh, having lost him back in December. Uh, it doesn't feel the same just yet uh, going up to the Bay Shore, and it probably never will. Uh, I went to the Bay Shore basically from the time I was born uh, until now. And um, going to games, um, there was a time when... Uh, when I was really young, going up to games in Owen Sound, a lot of it was me being a hockey crazy kid who just wanted to go see hockey and have a chance to get up close and, and, and personal and get to see it right there. That was awesome. But uh, as I got older, uh, I stayed involved and eventually joined the Rogers crew. And it's a lot, you know, it's a lot. It's a lot of kilometers on the vehicle every winter driving from Guelph or at one point from Milton up to Owen Sound. But uh, I think, you, you know, some could say, well, why wouldn't you have tried to find uh, an opportunity closer to home? But ultimately, it comes back to family and having the opportunity to spend a lot of those Saturdays throughout the winter with my grandparents. You know, we lost my grandmother a few years ago, but then uh, between that time, spending time with my grandfather, uh, heading down to the rink with him, going out for breakfast or, or going out after the game for a bite to eat and just talking hockey. Um, those are memories I'll cherish forever. So uh, it, it's been difficult, but um Again, uh, you know, he he had an opportunity to to leave a legacy and to make a huge impact in that community that's going to live on forever. So seeing his little fingerprints, you know, his fingerprints on everything, uh, whether that be big or small, big as the attack or or as small as, you know, contributions to, to various charities or local initiatives. Um, I'm, I'm tremendously proud. Uh, and as to your point about the hockey up in Owen Sound, I think it's probably been pretty well documented. Um just uh, the the role that he played in getting junior hockey to Owen Sound and being a big believer in that community. Um, and that's something that um, with his passing, you know, just doing a little more digging and talking to people, uh, you just realize how much uh, he loved his community, how proud he was of that community. So to have had a, uh, an OHL team there now 30 plus years for him to have been involved from day one uh, and to see it grow to where it got to, I know just how much it meant to him. You know, it, it was his life. Uh, he was down at the rink every single day. So uh, I, I hope that, um, you know, um, myself, whether, uh, you know, I'm calling games for the attack uh, for a long time or, or a short time, I'm always going to find my way back up to, to Owen Sound and I'm always going to make sure that we're around the arena there in one capacity or another and, and keeping that McKelvey name going. Hopefully one day they'll have a statue of him outside the arena. <laughs> Knowing him, he, he he would not want that kind of, uh, uh, no. you know, that kind of uh I very guess, humble play, right very humble exactly that that being said i think he deserves all the accolades uh in the world uh, even though he probably would be blushing about it okay and uh, i'm just gonna wrap this up are you still good for a few more minutes yep mark okay because yeah I, I do love to talk so this question i wanted to ask you because I, I didn't ask you the last time you were come mm -hmm. on my show but can you just tell my audience about your role with woodbine entertainment group and the work you do for, with standard bread horse racing as the uh, communications content manager briefly yeah, I've been with uh, Woodbine Entertainment now since 2014. I uh, grew up in the horse racing industry with both my parents involved, so I had a natural introduction to that and uh, really took a, a liking to the industry at a young age, and that developed into a career at this point. I went to Humber College for journalism, uh, really focused on broadcasting, but 
took an interest as well on the writing side of things and coming out of school, I had an opportunity to join the communications team at Woodbine, uh, covering the harness racing and the standard red racing. Uh, for several years, we were going back and forth between racing at Mohawk for a, a good chunk of the season, Mohawk in uh, just outside of Milton. And then we'd go to Woodbine in Toronto. So I've been at that for nearly a decade now, coming up on nine years in June. Uh, but over the last few years as well, my role has expanded, uh, not just as a member of the communications team, but uh, taking on a, you know, a manager position. And now uh, at this point, I'm overseeing uh, both uh, standard bread and thoroughbred racing. So I'm splitting my time between Woodbine and Mohawk once again. So back and forth uh, we go, especially uh, at busy parts of the season through the summer and into the fall. Uh, and I really enjoy it. I'm a big fan of the sport and um, what it comes down to is very much similar to why I, I spend a lot of my weekends through the winter in hockey arenas. It's because you enjoy it. Um, it doesn't feel like work a lot of the time. So I'm uh, very happy there at Woodbine Entertainment and um, continuing to contribute to hopefully growing the game of horse racing as well. Uh, just as hockey's probably getting ready to wind down here as we go into the playoffs, uh, the busy part of the horse racing season is coming up. So uh, there's really no downtime for me, but I uh, wouldn't have it any other way. And overall, how do you see horse racing in Ontario right now? Do you see see a lot of positives? I do. I, I think, though, that there's some big opportunities and, and some challenges right now in trying to grow the sport. Uh, COVID really wreaked havoc like it did on a lot of industries. Uh, yeah. It really took uh, its bite out of the horse racing industry in Ontario. We were very fortunate we were able to for the most part, continue racing. Uh, there were some shutdowns at times, but when we came back racing, uh, we were racing in front of uh, closed buildings, uh, no fans allowed. And I think uh, it's the old uh, out of sight, out of mind. So when you have people that would come out to the racetrack often during the summer, having to find other things to do, and they don't maybe haven't been to the racetrack for a few years, uh, it doesn't become necessarily that uh, go-to option for their entertainment dollars. So we have to do a good job uh, now of trying to get people back out to the track. That being said, on a wagering front, um, and obviously that's where a lot of the money comes from in the horse racing industry, uh, wagering's at an all-time high on, on racing at Woodbine and Mohawk. So uh, that a lot, uh, a lot of that has to do with just the advancement of technology, people being able to place bets from their phone or on their computer, watching from home has really changed the horse racing game. So now it's uh, about embracing that as we've done a pretty good job and now taking that to another level and continuing to grow. Uh, with sports betting, becoming legalized in Ontario, there's going to be some opportunities there as well to hopefully uh, integrate horse racing and continuing to uh, raise its profile and, and increasing those wagering dollars. And so basically it's uh, it's kind of two parts to it, right? There's the the side of the business, which is making sure the racing is going and the wagering strong, but uh, as well now there's going to be a big focus on just trying to get people out to the track, which um, is usually a bit of a different demographic and a different audience than what you're getting for the average person sitting at home playing uh, online. And uh, speaking of that, Steve Fitzsimmons is uh, no longer with Hanover Downs, and now he's out in, uh, I think, Nova Scotia, I believe. And uh, I think he'll, he'll, I think he'll do a great job out there with that track. Yeah. And uh, Steve um, got to know him as a colleague in the Ontario Hockey League calling games for the Guelph Storm. And it's funny how that comes full circle as well. Someone who had a, a interest in a family background in horse racing ending up there at Hanover Raceway. I was pretty disappointed to see that that uh, came to an end with his time at Hanover. Uh, I think he did a real nice job there over the last few years. Uh, so I think, uh, you know, Truro has gained a, a real uh, bright spot that can come and, and help them. Uh, hopefully have a, a great season and, and continue to build off of that going forward. Uh, it's 
um, you know, tough now that Steve won't be calling games for the Guelph Storm because uh, usually my visits to the Sleeman Center, a uh, good chunk of the time before the game was talking racing with him. So I uh, wish him nothing but the best. I've been in some contact with him and uh, likely going to contribute a little bit to, to Truro over the this upcoming season to, to lend them a bit of a hand and, and hopefully um, be able to at least use some of my uh, profile from Woodbine to, to help them grow their game. Okay. Before we wrap this up, uh, what are some big events coming up at Mohawk Woodbine in the next couple of weeks for people that are watching or listening to this episode? Yeah. Uh, well, right now, uh, live racing is going year round at, at Mohawk, uh, Standard Red Racing. Um, this week, at the end of March, we're on a little bit of a break, uh, just taking a few days off before racing resumes on Saturday, April 1st. And then after that, it's racing every Monday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. 7 p.m. is the start time. Uh, as for big events, um, you know, we really don't have anything out of the ordinary beside live racing, but that's still a lot of fun. You can come out, have dinner, or just come on out and, and watch the races. Um, like I said, we're going every Monday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Some of our big events later this season include the Pepsi North America Cup, which is the richest race for three-year-old pacers in North America. That'll be happening on Saturday, June 17th. And uh, summertime is probably the best time to be out there at Mohawk, right on the rail, uh, taking in the great weather, watching the racing. As for uh, the racing over at Woodbine Racetrack, the Thoroughbreds, they're opening on Saturday, April 22nd to kick off their 2023 season. So uh, we're coming up on opening day there on what should be another uh, big year. So a couple of dates uh, to keep in mind. And uh, getting on out to the track this summer at any point, uh, I highly recommend it because it's a great day, uh, great day out. Okay, definitely. And we're going to wrap this up, Mark. Uh, just quick thoughts on the Hamilton Bulldogs re relocating to Brantford for the next three seasons. And can Brantford be a regular OHL city again in the future? And where can my audience find you on social media? And uh, tell some OHL fans why they should consider going up to the Harry Lumley Bayshore Arena for an OHL game. All right. So a good three-parter to cap it off. Yes, I would say yes. to, for the Brantford topic, I think uh, – it's probably the, the best situation uh, considering it was a bad situation, right? I think it's disappointing that the city of Hamilton uh, doesn't seem to have enough belief uh, in the OHL and in the sporting teams that they had there playing at the first Ontario Centre to, to find other accommodations or to consider, um, you know, giving uh, Michael Ann Lauer who is the owner of the Hamilton Bulldogs and who at one point offered to put up a huge chunk of his own money to build a new arena, an arena that would have been very friendly to junior hockey, probably would have been the perfect capacity. The fact that they couldn't buy into that because they wanted the arena right downtown uh, is very disappointing because I'm sure Michael Anlauer, who is a very shrewd and successful businessman, um, he's not building an arena out in the middle of nowhere for nothing. You know, I, mean, I think the, uh, the, the proposed location was going to be near Lime Ridge Mall. Uh, I'm sure he's had his people look into it and they've done their research and they were believers in it being successful. But obviously the city of Hamilton wants that focus downtown. And what do you do with uh, First Ontario Centre, formerly Cops Coliseum? I don't know. You know, it's, it's outdated at this point. Uh, it needs a lot of renovations. So that's what's going to happen over the next three years. But it's too bad they couldn't have done that in phases. If you weren't going to build a new arena that would have been friendly to junior hockey with a, an owner who is willing to work alongside you, then why couldn't you have found a way to continue playing at a first Ontario center while the renovations happened? You know, the New York Rangers played at a Madison square garden. That's one of the oldest arenas in North America yet. They never missed a season. They never missed a game while they did renovations. They did it piece by piece. And I think they could have done that on first Ontario center. So it's disappointing. Um, and I guess it comes down to cities, obviously, you know, they need something downtown. 
and they thought this is how they have to do it uh, in order to reimagine and to give uh, some new life to First Ontario Centre. But uh, just kind of following up on the Brantford topic, I think the fact now that Brantford came into the you know into the equation as a possible host city made a lot of sense. It's not too far uh, for fans in Hamilton to travel. It's disappointing they won't have the team in their backyard, but you know if they still want to track it, they can go along. And Brantford seems like a market that, uh, based on all the uh, demand that there's been for season tickets so far, should be successful. And uh, I think when this three seasons is up, I'm a believer that the Hamilton Bulldogs will or I guess they'll be the Brantford Bulldogs at that moment, will not end up back in Hamilton. I, I truly believe that when it's all said and done, they will stay in Brantford because I think the city of Brantford will do everything in their power to keep OHL hockey there. They've been wanting it for a while. There's been a lot of people yelling for it and hoping that that day would come. And now it is, and I don't think they're going to let that opportunity pass by. They've already approved at council level to start looking into building a new arena. So I think with having those plans right there, uh, and this three-year window to at least be a test run, I think when it's all said and done, I think Grantford will be a permanent home for OHL hockey, and, and hopefully it is successful. Uh, as for uh, how you can follow me on social media, uh, I'm on uh, Twitter with a couple of accounts, actually, as we talked about hockey and horses. Uh, you can find me at mark 14 McKelvey. Uh, M-C-K-E-L-V-I-E is my last name, how that's spelled there. Uh, that's usually where I'm posting a lot of my hockey content. And uh, as for horse racing, you can follow me at Mohawk Mark M. Uh, so both of those channels there hopefully uh, provide you with uh, some good information, keeping you up to date on whether that be attack or OHL hockey or, or horse racing at, at Woodbine and Mohawk. And um, as for Chris, you, you mentioned it. You've never made the trip to the Bay Shore. I'm sure there's a lot of people uh, that are listening here today or watching along that have never been to the Bay Shore. Um, I can sell it to you in um, you know one word, and that's atmosphere. Uh, it's an electric atmosphere, especially on a Saturday night when the attack are at home. Um, maybe if they're even playing a, a Midwest division rival, it's a little, got a little extra hop in the building, but uh, it's just a tremendous building to see junior hockey. It's got a lot of character. And like I said, the community, it's a wonderful community up there. Very welcoming, very friendly, but passionate about their team. They'll make a lot of noise. And uh, again, it's got that kind of character that we don't have in some of the newer buildings. So I highly recommend anybody checking it out, getting up to the Bay shore. And while you're up there, there's a lot to do uh, in Owen Sound. There's a lot of real nice, uh, wonders out there naturally and some real nice businesses and restaurants as well to check out. So I think it's uh, should be on anybody, a hockey fans bucket list to get up there to see a game. Definitely. And uh, I'm so I'm looking forward to going up to one sound, but also to Brantford as well, because I remember when Brantford had a team from 78 to 84, the Brantford Alexanders and uh, Bob Prober, and they had some other guys. I'm trying to remember, uh, uh, Dave Draper was a head coach. So I, I'm really excited for Brantford and uh, I'm excited for Owen Sound because I think this Owen Sound series against uh, London is going to be tremendous as well. But hey, uh, Mark, uh, please say hi to your family for me, Scott, your dad, Scott, and your mom, Lori. And uh, Tamara, I talked to the other day. She was at a Raptors Pistons game. So she wanted me to quickly mention her on the podcast. But <laughs> say hi to all your family. And uh, I miss being around you guys. And uh, I really appreciate you. Uh, coming on my uh, 257th episode in three years. Absolutely. I appreciate the invitation anytime, Chris. And uh, I'm sure we'll see you around, maybe even uh, at the Sleeman Center pretty soon. 
yes, I'll be working one of the games next week against Cerny as a camera operator as well. And I'll let you know when this uh, show airs on my uh, radio station, WQE 99.1 FM, uh, the key in the Metro Atlanta. There's a cheap plug and they have a uh, hockey on their station as well. The Columbia River Dragons of the Federal Prospects League. Oh, there you go. That's great. Well, I'll keep at it. Uh, love uh, tracking along and seeing who your guests are and uh, wish you nothing but the best, Chris. Keep it up. Well, thank you so much, uh, Mark, and uh, we'll definitely keep in touch. And good luck to the uh, Owen Sound attack against the London Knights. Thank you so much again, Mark, for coming on. Thank you. All right, guys, uh, that was Season 5, Episode 37 with Mark McKelvey, the longtime TV play-by-play -play voice of the Owen Sound Attack of the OHL. He also occasionally does some radio work for CFOS 560 and Owen Sound, and he's also the communications content manager for Woodbine Entertainment Group as well, guys. And uh, the London Owen Sound Series starts Friday night, 7 o'clock from Budweiser Gardens. Game two is Sunday afternoon in London, and then uh, three and four are next Tuesday and Thursday up at the uh, Bay Shore Arena in Owen Sound, Ontario as well. And uh, some notes from that series, the teams have faced each other seven times in the playoffs history in the OHL. London has won five of those first seven meetings, but uh, the Attack have won two out of the last three playoff meetings, and this year the team split the season series 3-3 as well guys i am doing another ohl podcast this thursday the next live with cdp sports talk brought to you by barry cullen chevrolet season five episode 38 will be thursday march 30th at 9 p.m eastern with guest alan emensky he's the uh, tv play-by-place tv play-by-play -play announcer for the ohl's Kingston Fontenacs on you, your TV Kingston. And he also does some play-by-play -play for the RCM Paladins, uh, a Royal uh, College military uh, hockey team there as well. So looking forward to speaking to Alan about the Kingston Fontenacs and his broadcasting career. So I hope you guys can tune in uh, to season uh, five, seasons, season five, episode 38, this Thursday night at nine o'clock again with Alan Edmanski, uh, the play-by-play -play voice for the uh, Kingston Fontenacs as well, guys. And as we're always, guys, you can listen to uh, WQEE 99.1 FM, the key in Metro Atlanta at their website. Just type in uh, WQEEFM.radio. 12345.com and uh yours truly show is on weeknights at eight o'clock to nine o'clock there as well before we wrap up this show guys as always live with uh actually i hit the wrong graphic we'll do this anyways you guys can follow my website at beacons.ai slash chris d palme that's beacons.ai slash chris d palme and as always, Live with CDP Sports Talk is live streamed on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, and LinkedIn. And thank you to everyone for watching me on my live stream platforms as well. Live with CDP Sports Talk, again, is brought to you by Barry Cullen Chevrolet Dealership at 905 Woodlawn Road West in the Guelph Auto Mall. Check out barrycullen.com for the newest selection of new and pre-owned GM vehicles or give them a call at 519-824-0210 or email them at info at barrycullen.com. You can, these can also follow me on TikTok at Live with CDP. I post a lot of content on TikTok as well. 
StreamYard is the official live stream provider of Live with CDP Sports Talk. If you're into webinars or podcasting, highly recommend StreamYard as well. And again, Live with CDP Sports Talk is produced by yours truly, Chris Pame, CDP Media Productions 2023. And finally, guys, Live with CDP Sports Talk podcast. The audio version is available on iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Anchor FM, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Spotify, CastBox, LinkedIn, Stitcher, and tuned in, and also again on WQEE 99.1 FM, the key uh, weeknights at 8 o'clock in Metro Atlanta as well. Also, guys, you can email live with CDP Sports Talk at cpame19 at gmail.com, or you can text the show at 519-820-7188 with questions, comments, etc. as well. And you guys can also follow me on LinkedIn and Facebook. And also, guys, you guys can uh, subscribe to my YouTube channel as well. And that's about it, guys. Uh, again, I, I want to say thank you to my guest, Mark McKelvey, for coming on today and uh, talking about uh, the Owen Sound attack and uh, previewing the OHL playoffs as well. So, um, again, um, Thanks to Mark McKelvey for coming on. And guys, just give me about 15, 20 minutes. And I'll have this uh, episode downloaded downloaded to all my audio platforms as well. So uh, that's about it. I hope you guys uh, all have a great evening. And uh, thank you for watching and listening to Live with CDP Sports Talk. And my next show again is this Thursday, March 30th at 9 p.m. Eastern with Alan Aminsky, the uh, TV play-by-play -play announcer for the Ontario Hockey League's Kinston's Fontenacs for season five, episode 38. I hope everybody has a great afternoon, great evening, and we'll see you guys Thursday night, nine o'clock, for another edition of Live with CDP Sports Talk. Again, brought to you by Barry Collin Chevrolet here in Guelph. Have a great evening, everybody, and thanks again for watching and listening to Live with CDP Sports Talk and also on WQE 99.1 FM, the key. Live.